familiarity is something we gravitate to so much and it's so much easier for us to stay in that comfortable bubble instead of seeing what's on the other side of that fence, even if it means a good life, a healthy life, happiness. Holy moly, it has been a very long time since I have done a podcast and I've done that a bit intentionally because I'm someone that starts 7,000 different projects and then I end up never finishing anything and uh, that's a problem and we're trying to fix that. I wanted to do an episode at the end of the year because I was at the gym yesterday and I was thinking about how I've really had more realizations this year than I think I've ever had in my entire life. And it's crazy. I feel like this year just cracked me open because I went through a lot of things and a lot of transitions and a lot of rock bottoms that forced change. So I wanted to just talk about the biggest things I've learned this year because I'm hoping it can help some of you. And if not, then I'm so sorry for rambling to myself for however long this takes. But I do think that people who listen to this are probably like-minded and similar to me. And so I'm really hoping that maybe this will create some relativity with you and resonate with you in some way. So let's get on into it. Um, this is without any particular order. This is more so the brain dump I had on my notes app on my phone. So the first lesson that I learned the hard way in 2022 was that women are not small men and all the things in the health industry that you think as a woman are healthy and what you should be doing All of those studies on those modalities are often done on men that don't have periods and that don't have menopause and that don't have hormones like we do that change throughout the month. And I learned this the hard way when I thought intermittent fasting was going to reset my gut and it was going to clear out a bunch of pathogens and all this stuff. So I did this thing in March where I wouldn't eat till 11 a.m. And for some people, that is really early to eat. But for me, I'm someone that wakes up hungry. Um, So I would start my morning off with my coffee and that hit of dopamine felt great. I would go work out. I would do an intense, high-intensity workout because those are metabolically the best, according to science. And I would come home, shower, make food by then my stress hormones were off the wall and I was anxious as hell and eventually after doing this for a week my health completely plummeted and that was the first time I was like what the hell this is supposed to be good for you why is this making me sick why is this making me feel like crap and that opened the door to me exploring female hormones and really understanding our cycles and also just going against all that noise, all this stuff that men are doing, these leaders in the industry, these entrepreneurs, they wake up at 5 a.m., they meditate, they have their cold shower, they have their caffeine, they work out, they do these high intensity things, they don't eat till like noon or 1 p.m. All these things that you're led to believe are healthy for you and then you try it as a woman and you're completely hit in the face with 
stress hormones off the wall, decreases in progesterone, and these hormones that are supposed to make us fertile and feel calm and healthy and happy and have vitality. It's crazy. So I learned that the hard way, but I've been just not as hard on myself with these regimens and these things that a lot of these leaders in the industry that are men are doing to succeed. And I realized that as women, we have different needs and we have to listen to them. And the harder we fight them, the worse our health becomes. And it's really important for us to, as women, understand that men have a 24-hour cycle. So these studies for intermittent fasting, these studies for high-intense workouts, these studies for cold showers, all these things are done on men that have a 24-hour cycle. And women have a Freudian cycle, a Freudian rhythm, and that's a month long. That is so different than 24 hours. So our needs are so different on a daily basis, whereas men reset every day. Like they can redo the same things over and over again and our needs change throughout the month. So really leaning into that knowledge and being kinder to myself has honestly made me realize that there needs to be more conversation around this and a lot of women are hurting themselves thinking they're doing themselves a service. So something I'm really passionate about and want to spread the word on is that and that's a lesson I learned this year. The second lesson I've learned this year was that addiction is more common than I thought and it has little to do with drugs and alcohol. I used to think that an addict was someone that was on the streets and shooting up heroin in their arms or drinking to oblivion every single night and can't walk away from booze, but the truth is addiction is everywhere and it can be anything and It was until I learned this definition of it that really changed my mind on what addiction really means. And the definition that I really resonate with is addiction is something that you keep doing despite negative consequences. And with that definition, I realized in my life, there's a lot of addiction issues. The things I keep repetitively doing despite having these negative consequences. You know, another thing is I switched my workouts from mornings fasted with coffee to, you know, 10 a.m. mid-morning after all my coffee, but two hours after I ate breakfast. And then by the time I'd work out and get home, I would plummet my um, blood sugar again and then get really anxious and go into kind of a spiral. And despite knowing that, I just kept doing it because it was familiar. And uh, I guess that leads into a similar lesson that the devil we know is often the devil we choose over the maybe heaven or salvation or safety that we don't know, which sounds crazy, right? We keep doing the same things that are hurting us instead of risking that maybe there's something better on the other side and changing our ways. But familiarity is something we gravitate to so much and it's so much easier for us to stay in that comfortable bubble instead of seeing what's on the other side of that fence even if it means a good life, a healthy life, happiness. And I think that also ties into the addiction piece. Like we keep doing these things that cause us familiar pain because the fear of uncertainty outweighs that for us. Like we would rather suffer and suffer and suffer in a familiar pain than risk feeling good for something better. And it's just... It's hard to break through. I wasn't allowing myself 
to see this other side of life and this beauty and this safety and this health because I'm addicted to familiarity and control or I was I want to use past tense another thing I learned this year number three feeling pain fully makes it go away faster I used to distract myself and run from feeling discomfort and I would use any kind of coping mechanism whether that's excessive projects working on something going to the gym and just killing a workout and calling my mom calling my dad I would do anything not to feel the pain of what I was feeling because I was afraid I was afraid number one of feeling bad and I was also afraid of it never ending or going away and the funny thing about it is that by not letting myself feel it because I was afraid it would stay so long resulted in it staying forever. And if I had only just let myself sink into that pain in the moment, it would have diminished within probably minutes, maybe a day, maybe two days. But that fear of it lasting is what kept me from sinking into it and feeling it now, which ultimately caused it to last way longer. And that's something I wanted to talk about on this podcast was that really relates to dating and here I've really struggled with dating and I want to openly talk about that because I think we're all in this weird place. These apps are really tough. You're not meeting people with their energy and understanding them in a real life scenario. You are making judgments off of a phone and then maybe your banter's great. Maybe there's chemistry, but then you meet them and you're disappointed. Or maybe you finally meet someone that you're like, wow, this person seems so different. And I feel like they have something special about them that is so different than anyone else I've talked to. You feel good about them. You're like, this person is good. They're different. And then they completely do a 180 and blindside you. And that hurts so bad. Being blindsided hurts more than anything because you're not expecting it. And you have this vision, this idea, and this story in your head of what this person could be to you someday or who they are. And then you come to find out they're nothing like that. And they were giving you a version of themselves that they wanted you to see and attach to. And then once they had you, they flip. And I know this sounds oddly specific, but this did happen to me a few times this fall where I would meet someone on a dating app, got to know them. And I was like, wow, this person's incredible. And I let myself just sink into it and feel it and enjoy it and allow them to come into my home and my space and surrender and just enjoy it. And then when I did that, they would flip and just become mean and push me away. And it's really hard and it hurt really bad. And I'm someone that feels things so deeply. And for some of these guys, I hadn't even known them that long. But it hurt so bad to feel like I was misled and I was wrong about who someone was. And I would cry about people that I barely knew because my idea of them and my optimism toward maybe this person's different was so strong that the disappointment just killed me. And for a while, I judged myself. I was like, why am I crying over this person? I barely know them. Why am I upset about this person? I haven't even dated them. Like it's, we just were getting to know each other. 
And instead of judging myself, because I realized that wasn't working, I would get tied up on someone for months and months and months. Like, what went wrong? What did I do? I internalized everything. And then this happened recently in December. And I had to sit back and be like, no, don't judge yourself. Let yourself feel this. See what happens. Just fully feel it. Don't try to push it away. If you want to cry, cry. And uh, it happened. And I remember that one day I just decided to let go and stop resisting and stop judging myself for feeling pain and hurt and sad. And I cried a bunch and I talked to my friends. I talked to my parents about it and I let myself just say, it's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel like you were misled and you're really heartbroken that this person didn't end up being what you expected. Instead of judging myself, instead of being like, you're so sensitive, why are you crying? You barely know this guy. You weren't even officially dating. And I'm not even kidding. When I let myself do that and just cry that one day, I woke up the next day feeling fine. It's because I didn't resist it. I didn't try to fight those feelings and that sadness. I just let myself sink into it. And I can't wait to continue to do that because I've realized letting yourself feel that pain now saves you a lifetime of pain. That kind of leads into number four, and that's rejection is the best thing to happen to you sometimes. It saves you time. It keeps you from pouring your energy into something that inevitably is not good for you. And I truly believe that most of us know what's good for us. We know if something's right for us. We know if something's wrong for us. But sometimes we carry on because we want someone who will never love us or we want something that's so impossible to happen even though we know it's not good for us or what we actually want and it takes a lot of inner work to realize that pattern but I can honestly say I've been that person for a long time where I would want the guy that would never love me because he probably didn't love himself and I'm no better. I wasn't loving myself because I was wanting love from someone that would never love me. And that whole saying, you accept the love you think you deserve, I really feel like that's true because I was doing that over and over again. And I realized, wow, I look, I must look at myself so low. I must look at myself in such a terrible light to accept this treatment from certain people. And this doesn't have to just be boys or girls depending on whoever you're dating but this could also be jobs this could also be friends if we keep accepting poor treatment it shows what we think we deserve for ourselves which ultimately shows us how we view ourselves and I realized I didn't view myself as highly as I should have and I think that's a beautiful gift I have but also a curse in a way because I don't feel like I'm better than anyone I don't ever feel like I'm above anyone And I give people chances and shower them with love even when they make terrible mistakes and treat me horribly because I see that they're probably hurting too and I know that I'm not perfect. And so I give these people more chances than maybe they deserve. But at the same time, it's time to step up and love myself enough to know what I really want and deserve and that all comes back to how I'm viewing myself. Number five. You play more of a role than you think. That also ties into the aforementioned about dating and rejection, but 
I really think this year taught me that while all these things could be happening to me, quote unquote, maybe these things that are a little bit adverse and not fun to deal with or painful, I still play a role in all of it, whether that's how I perceive something or what I keep allowing into my space, what I keep allowing into my life. And if I keep repetitively getting hurt by the same type of men or the same type of people, or I keep getting sick with the same type of thing, what role do I play? I believe we do play a role, all of us, in all of these things. And we see patterns, but sometimes we ignore them. And being self-aware enough to acknowledge the pattern is the first part, but then changing it and implementing is really hard. But at the same time, I started feeling like I couldn't ever complain because I knew that there was agency and what I could do. Number six, I believe your childhood is everything. (laughs) I used to get annoyed when people would be like, oh, well, it's just because you have daddy issues or it's your childhood trauma. I'm like, not everything is childhood trauma, okay? Not everything is childhood. People are just the way they are, right? And I used to think that genetics loaded the gun and environment pulled the trigger. And now that thinking is completely reversed. I have learned, and I fully believe with every fiber of my being, that our environment makes up most of who we are. And our genetics play a small role. So childhood and the way that I interact with the world, the way I view it, the way I entertain relationships, the kind of love I look for or feel I deserve, all of that has to do with my development as a child. Because children are so egocentric. Like everything is their world. And they look to the two people that can provide for them for all the advice, for all the lessons, for all the way that we should view love and friendship and self-worth and everything. Because those two people are keeping you alive. They're supporting you, giving you a house, giving you food, hopefully. This is all the bare minimum. They're giving you the things to keep you alive and you have to listen to them. So when you're seeing things that don't necessarily foster healthy attachment styles, or the way that love actually works, or the way that the world should be viewed, if you're seeing all those things differently from the two people that keep you alive, you'll go on in your life with the same exact mindset that they had, or maybe the same behaviors, maybe the same issues or addictions or whatever. We really learn everything from the people that keep us alive, and if we don't get unconditional love from them, And if we don't get a proper attachment relationship with them growing up, it can lead into a lot of things. And unpacking my childhood and unpacking how I think and how I view the world has been gut-wrenching because I've realized almost all of it relates back to my childhood. And it's beautiful in a way because I used to believe I was just born the way I was. My brain was always going to be the way it is. I have no way of changing it. It's just who I am. It's fixed. But I'm learning that's not the case. 
And while I can sit here and feel like a victim about my childhood or the way I was raised or my development, I don't look at it that way because it's freeing knowing that it can be healed. It's a wound that can be healed. It's not a fixed thing that we are born with. It is something that can be healed. And that gives us power and takes power away from the things and the parts of our brains that we don't love. Number seven. We all need people, even introverts, (laughs) even people like myself. I lived alone in San Diego for two years and the first six months was amazing. I loved it. I remember telling people I could never live with roommates. I could never live with people again. It's so amazing. And it was because I had all the control. I could put the air at whatever I wanted. I could make dinner at midnight if I wanted to. I wouldn't be disrupting anyone. I could leave my clothes all over the floor. The only person I'd be disappointing was myself. I could leave the dishes for three days if I wanted. I mean, I never did that. But just knowing I had that control was great. And I also, at the end of the day, after a hard work day, I'd love to just shut off and not have to talk to anyone. And it was great until it wasn't. It enabled all these control-centric behaviors where I felt like I needed control for everything. And I started becoming more regimented and more of a control freak because I was able to have control all the time. There wasn't any compromising or sacrificing or shifting or adapting to someone else's schedule because I was the only person I had to look out for. And like I said, while that's great for a while, it starts making you sick. And when you don't have energy around you and it's just you and your thoughts, it becomes unhealthy. And I know that a lot of you maybe do live alone and some of you probably love it. I know I did, but then I realized we are community creatures and we need community and people and touch and love and hugs and smiles and exchanges of energy. We need that. It's so important. Like our chemistry and our physiology changes if we go too long without that. There's so many studies on that and we don't need to nerd out on it, but look into Andrew Huberman's episode on isolation it's it's incredible but point being something that really changed my life was getting roommates and I had to let go of my ego about it I lived alone I felt like this really independent woman who had her own place in San Diego but I knew I wasn't getting healthier with that situation and I knew that loneliness and isolation kills people more than cancer heart disease all of these leading diseases Loneliness is the number one cause of mortality, which is crazy, but it's, I mean, it makes sense. We were meant to be in tribes and communities and feel a sense of purpose. And when you don't have that, you start just feeling purposeless and it makes sense. But moving in with my roommates was the best thing I could have done. And my soul has felt so happy Of course, there was a transition period and I felt a little bit uncomfortable when I couldn't just like go in my room and be alone all the time. But I knew that getting outside of my comfort zone, letting go of control, getting out of my routine, being less regimented, people and love are 
the closest things we have to magic in this world. Everything else should be second. Number eight. It's okay to let go and let someone help you. You can't doctor yourself. And I tried to do that for years and years. It was great because I knew a lot of things about health and wellness. And I helped a lot of other people. But I wasn't getting better. And it was too much of a conflict of interest for me to try to doctor myself. I'm too close to it. And sometimes you need to just let go and let someone help you and do what they say. And whether they're right or wrong, maybe just believing in someone outside of yourself is all you need to heal. This year, I had the privilege to find an incredible therapist. I mean, truly, I've never, I've never felt so much progress and so aligned and just so seen and understood. I I'm not someone that can go to a therapist that's just like, I'm validating your feelings. You're right. I, I'm here for you. I understand. I'm listening. I don't, I personally don't work well with that. I need someone that's like, this is what I see you doing. And this is what you need to do to change that. I need someone to call me out on my BS. I'm very good at tricking myself and gaslighting myself. And I need someone that can see that and stop it dead in its tracks. Hold me accountable and tell me straight to my face what is going on. And I found an incredible therapist that has been just life-changing for me and also helped me realize a lot of things about my neurology and my brain that I never knew. And I've always been misunderstood by every therapist I've ever seen because I'm very, very, very good at hiding and misleading and tricking myself because I didn't want something to be real. And this was the first time where I just let someone see all of my thoughts, all of my brain patterns, all of the ways that I thought and moved about the world. And I finally feel like I can just take a breath because I finally feel understood. I was home for the holidays actually looking through our photo albums and in every single photo, I was making a weird face or not smiling and like sticking my tongue out or cheesing so hard just to be goofy and like hanging upside down or not wearing a shirt and being weird like every single photo I was just being a freaking dork and a weirdo (laughs) and then when I started going to school I started realizing okay I need to fit in I need to be quote-unquote normal I need to wear what people are wearing And growing up, I had a lot of textile sensitivity. So for the first half of my elementary experience, I would only wear a humongous t-shirt, these cotton biker shorts, and, and Finding Nemo sticker on my shirt every single day. Every single day. And... It's because if I wore jeans or if I wore a dress that had a seam on my stomach or if I wore any pants that were a little too low-waisted, it would make me feel sick, like so uncomfortable that I couldn't stand it. And now looking back, it all makes sense given what I've learned this year, but it wasn't that that sensitivity went away. It's that the consequence of being an outlier And not fitting in was so much worse to me than just sucking it up and feeling completely uncomfortable every single day and wearing jeans and these clothes that quote-unquote normal people wore. 
And I started masking at a very young age. And it led into high school. You know, I was a straight A student. I would memorize everything. I'd get 100% on every single test. And started getting made fun of for being a nerd and getting academic letters. And then my grades started slipping because I started going out and I started drinking and I started going to parties. And for once, I didn't give a shit. And it felt good for a while, but then it didn't because there were consequences. And then throughout college, I did the same thing. I dated the person that everyone thought was perfect, and that was great on paper. I majored in the thing that society deemed as successful and incredible and hard, but I didn't major in something I loved. Fast forward, I moved to San Diego. I did all San Diego things. I went on the yachts. I did the parties. I did the podcasts. I did the photo shoots. I did all these things. But I was masking the entire time. And my body started saying, no, no, no. We're tired. And it led to a burnout, a really bad burnout, because I was not being myself for so long. I was trying to like the things that everyone else my age liked when I hated it. I didn't like going to bars. I didn't like going to parties. I didn't like drinking. I, didn't, I liked waking up with my cup of coffee and reading in the morning. I like learning about studies. I like listening to podcasts and learning. I like writing. I like math. I like science. I don't like the things that people my age like. And instead of just loving and accepting who I am, I was masking and becoming what everyone else was. And that leads me to number 11. I believe burnout is caused by your body being too tired to play a character anymore. So in March, when I hit my burnout, I hit it so hard that I didn't think I'd ever come out of it. And I thought I was going to (laughs) die. I have never been so depressed and exhausted in my entire life. I never struggled with depression either, really. I mean, it was the first time where I understood that emotional and physical pain are so connected. I had joint aches and fatigue and just no energy to even get out of bed. I would cry all the time. I felt like everything was insurmountable, every obstacle. Every little thing I'd run into, whether it's, oh, like this technology broke or this thing at work happened, like nothing felt like I could cope with it. It just all felt incredibly impossible to get over because my soul was so tired. I couldn't play the character anymore. And that's when I realized I have to stop. I have to stop giving people what they want to see and just giving the world who I am. And trusting that maybe a smaller percentage, but still some people will love every single piece of that Stephanie. And that's so much easier said than done. You want the fast acting acceptance. You don't want the long term wait for a deep unconditional love. But it's so much more worth all these superficial encounters and friends that don't see and love you for who you really are. Number 12. The body is designed to heal itself. And you have to have trust and faith in it that it will. 
I would feel the slightest bit of discomfort or a change. I'm very hyper aware of every change in my body to the point where it becomes detrimental. I was too analytical. I was too observant. I'm very sensitive. And so any slight change, I would run to take a supplement or find a way to correct it. But I learned that every action has a reaction. Every supplement you take may fix one thing for the time being, but it'll impact something else. And I truly believe the body is designed to heal itself and bring itself back into homeostasis. And every symptom or thing it does is all in effort to bring it back to baseline. And every time we tinker with that and manipulate our bodies causes other effects. And I've had to let go of trying to overcorrect for every single thing I feel. And instead look at it as, thank you body. I know that you're doing this to heal and to get better. And the last lesson, and probably the biggest lesson I've learned this year, is that your mind is more powerful than anything when it comes to your physiology, your well-being, and your life. I was doing everything right in terms of diet and exercise and mindfulness and walking and blue light blocking and reading before, but I was doing it all and I was still so sick because my mind only knew sickness and I always expected to be sick. I was creating a reality that I was afraid of instead of thinking maybe I am healthy, maybe I could be. But instead I was so afraid of being sick that I was creating a reality of sickness because I was so afraid of it. And it's ironic. I was creating something that I was so afraid of. And maybe that has to do with the fact that if I create it, I can control it. I know it's coming. It's a lot less scary than just being almost positively delusional to where you tell yourself, everything is fine, I am healthy, I am strong, I am resilient. Because it scared me to think, what if I'm going about my life that way and then something hits out of nowhere? Instead, I was creating a reality of illness and sadness and fear. And all it was doing was making me sicker. So I realized it wasn't serving me. And I went home for Christmas, actually, and both of my parents got really sick and got these nasty flus. And I was living with them and, you know, hugging them and up in their space and cooking with them and all this. And I was like, oh, man. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this thing where I just say to myself, I'm not going to get sick. I'm too strong. My immune system is too strong. It's impenetrable. And what do you know? I didn't get it. And I was mind blown because I've always been somewhat immunocompromised. Like I've always caught everything and gotten it 10 times worse than the people around me. But it was my mind. I wasn't allowing myself this possibility of health and well-being. Because I could control being sick. I can control that outcome. And I started realizing how we talk to ourselves and what we view the world as and ourselves as is more important than anything. You can do everything right in terms of your health, but if you don't truly believe you are healthy 
or that there is health and abundance and wellness around you and in you, you will never have it. So that being said, I know this was a little bit longer than I expected, but I really hope that this can resonate with some of you, even if just one of them resonates. Then I've done my job. And it's scary for me to share all of this, but I also know that it's scary to be alone and experience things with no one else to relate to. The funniest thing is none of us are that different. Of course, we have bio-individuality, but we all have the same needs. We all want love, to be understood, to feel joy and happiness. And I hope that Any of these lessons I learned in 2022 can get you a little bit closer to that, or at least keep you there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode, and I promise you that this year will be a year of podcasts, content, our new YouTube channel, Lady Balls. It's popping off. Please go subscribe and check those videos out if you need a little bit of lighter entertainment Then some of my podcasts, of course, they're always a little bit more science-based or on the mental health side of things. But if you're looking for some entertainment, check out Lady Balls. We have an Instagram, Lady Balls Official. And uh, that's Lady Balls with a Z, by the way. But yeah, I will definitely be producing as much as I can this year while also being myself, staying authentic to who I am and not burning out again. I'm starting to love myself enough to know that The people I want in my life, while there may be less of you, will love every part of me that I didn't always love, but I am learning to know. So I hope you all have a wonderful start to your 2023 and uh, see you guys soon.